0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command and endure patiently... I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may not have heard
1: the name Horace Bushnell. Or maybe you have. Horace Bushnell was an executive founder of a company in the 1980s called Atari. For those of you who are as old as me, you remember the company. You remember it as a gaming system and also a cutting edge developer of personal computers. On one particular occasion, Horace Bushnell had a young innovative employee come to him with an idea. He brushed him off as often older executives do. Then eventually this young employee came to him and said he wanted to start a new company and um, he wanted Bushnell to have the opportunity to buy into it early on. Bushnell again rejected the idea. The young man's name was Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. There is no technology company more audacious than that one. Computers, phones, everything. Horace Bushnell later recalled that event and said that if he had invested in that initial offer, he would have been a third owner of Apple and the company's wealth is now, at least recently, um, measured at $580 billion dollars. I think we could safely say that was a missed opportunity. Today we're talking about a church in Philadelphia. And the church in Philadelphia, unlike many of the other churches, is not really given a criticism from the angel. Except one thing, which is really not a criticism. It's just a warning. And the warning is this. There's an opportunity in front of you. There is an open door, don't miss it. Some of the pictures from Philadelphia um, that come up on the screen show you that even today, uh, it's a thriving town in Turkey. Plenty of people living in that town, plenty of things going on. A picture that takes us back to the Roman Empire when it had established that town in Turkey. You see this Grand Colosseum, which was typical of many Roman towns. That was Philadelphia's Colosseum. The next picture looks like, I believe, Roman ruins. But it's not, actually. It's the ruins of a basilica church that dates back to about 700 AD. That's all that's left of it. The next picture shows you a slide of some of the ancient Roman ruins and the town that's developed all around it. It's a big town. It was a prosperous town back then. One of the main Roman roads that was legendary came through Philadelphia. And there must have been enormous economic opportunities in that town. But it's unlikely, as we know, that the angel was referring to economic opportunities. He was referring to something else. What is the something else? What's the great opportunity? The open door. Biblical scholars find it to be rather mysterious. They're not exactly sure what the open door was. And so we speculate But two things might inform our understanding of what this open door was. Uh, The first thing that informs it is that in Philadelphia, the church had basically been locked out of the synagogue. As you know, early Christian communities usually worshiped in the synagogue until over time they moved on. They'd been barred from being in the synagogue. The uh, authorities in the Jewish community said, no, you can't come in. That might be an illustration of one door closed and another one open. You've heard the phrase before, when God closes one door, he opens another. It may be that the angel to the church at Philadelphia is saying, I know your story. The door has been shut on you. You've been barred from worshiping in the synagogue. But I want to tell you there's an opportunity out there. And the first opportunity he may be referring to is, is basically this. I'm the one who has the keys... To the kingdom of God. I am the one who holds the keys of David, as the text says. I am the one who gives you entry into, it's referred to in those verses, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven. Don't be concerned about the locked door in your face. Be concerned about the open door that I have given you to enter into eternal life that's quite a, a twist on a locked door, isn't it? It's a reminder to the early Christians, and they knew it so well, that their message was qualitatively different than anyone else's in the world. They, those early Christians, Jewish by birth, most of them in the early days, worshiped in the synagogue, and their message from the day of Pentecost, when Peter spoke to all those people and 3,000 came to faith, their message from the early days was this thing called God's Messiah. It's not just for the Jewish nation. It's for the whole world. That's the good news. This one called Jesus is for everyone. The early Christian community was the most inclusive religion that anyone had ever seen. It's for everyone. Don't worry about it, says the angel. Eventually, even they who have locked you out are going to understand. They're going to come back and kneel down in front of you symbolically and admit that I love you too. So, Walk through that open door. The second possibility for understanding what the opportunity or the open door was all about is a description of the history of Philadelphia as a city. City of Philadelphia has an interesting history because its founder, long before the Roman Empire, actually established Philadelphia as a sending city For the Greek culture. His idea was that in that city, Greek culture and the Greek language would be understood well and it would be a gateway to the rest of Asia, Eastern Asia. And that happened. The Greek culture spread much further west than it would have by that Roman road coming through Philadelphia, that, shall we call it, open door to the east. It could be that the angel understands their understanding of their own city and is saying to them, just like the open door was there for Greek culture, you too have an open door to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ far to the east and across the world. Walk through the door. Around here at ECC, we have frequently described ourselves as a receiving, equipping, and sending church. Why? Because we've recognized an open door. We've acknowledged that we need to continue to remind ourselves that in this place, unlike some churches, people walk through those back doors. Right now, they don't even have to open the door because of the pandemic. Everybody comes and goes. They walk through the back door. They become part of this congregation, and they're here for a number of years, and then they move on, and they take whatever they received here And we take whatever they brought to us, we're built up, and they're sent out. If I were to throw up a list of names of our missionaries at ECC this year or 25 years before, what you'd see is a group of people who came here first, felt the call of God, and were sent out. Many of them, actually, most of them, didn't come to Indiana University to become a missionary. Some of them came for language studies for a particular reason in missions. Others, like a missionary family we support in Turkey, not too many miles from the city of Philadelphia, that young man came. He was the first student I ever met at ECC. He came to study philosophy and literature. And then he felt the call of God. And now he's a missionary in Istanbul. I visited him several times. Amazed by what God is doing with his ministry. We are an open door, a revolving door. It's painful sometimes. People just come and go. We love them and then they're gone. But it's it's an open door. So we have to seize it. We have to acknowledge it. We have to own it. The notion of an open door was repeatedly used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and especially with the Apostle Paul. On one occasion, he wrote to um, the Corinthians and he said to them, Look, I want you to understand something. There's this unbelievably opened door for me for effective ministry. And he was talking about Ephesus, one of the churches that's listed. In this early part of the book of Revelation, in Ephesus, Paul stayed for three years, which was really quite unlike him to stay that long because he had so many opportunities to share the good news. And look what happened. Ephesus is one of those big, important churches to the advancement of the gospel in Asia. I wonder uh, when we think about ourselves what this says to us. First, let me acknowledge something. This was written to a church, and as such, it's written to other churches. Thus, it's written to us as a church. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean for us? But I want to add something else. The church is a collection of individuals, especially at this place, a collection of disparate individuals, from all over the place with different perspectives. So when we ask what does it mean for the church, we're also asking very directly, what does it mean for you? Because you are what makes up the church. So I have four suggestions for what it might mean for us. I'll call them the four Bs. And by that I mean... Be this, be that. Easy to remember. First be Be aware. Be aware of opportunities that are all around you. How does this happen? How do you become aware of opportunities for ministry, opportunities for evangelism that are all around you? I don't know if you think this is odd, but... I think the first step, maybe the most important step, towards recognizing opportunities that are around us is to stop thinking about ourselves long enough to think about the other. You know, you know what is a, a terrible part of some people's model for ministry, evangelism, or anything else? It's really about them. They're trying to be great. They're trying to be the best at this or the best at that. They're trying to create a program that's better than everybody else's. If we could move away, my friends, from self-awareness to other awareness, it's amazing what might happen. It's amazing if we stop thinking about ourselves and thought about others, what God might be able to do with us as a church and as individuals. Sometimes we approach ministry or evangelism with a a predetermined idea. This is the issue. This is the way it ought to advance. This is the way it ought to be. And we might be right, but we also might not be listening. Maybe we just need to stop long enough to hear from the other. To watch, to listen, and then walk through the open door. Second B, first was be aware. Second B is to be willing. It's one thing to be aware, to see the opportunity, the open door. It's another thing to be willing to walk through it. You can identify it, but are you willing to walk through it? So I have a, uh, a hard, difficult Pointed question for many of us. It's pretty simple. How many times in the last year have you said no when there was an opportunity that was presented to you for ministry? Second question, how many more times are you going to say that? I know that all of us are busy. That old adage is true. If you want to get something done and find somebody who's got too much to do, right? We get that. But sometimes, sometimes we just say no because it's our habit to say no. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, he did not say to them, come and follow me and I'll give you the job of your life, the one you've been looking for all along. Didn't say that at all. He said, I'm your Lord, and your master. Come follow me because I've redeemed you. And if you understand redemption the way you ought to, it means you're going to serve other people. You're going to give your life for them. You're not even going to be thinking so much about yourself. I wonder if, if that might change something if we were aware and we were also willing The third B I'd like to suggest is to be patient. Be aware, be willing, and be patient. Notice in this passage that it is God who opened the door. And it is God who has the ability to close the door and nobody else can shut it, says the angel. Here's the point of patience. We wait for God to open the door. We don't knock down the door. We don't create a door where there's a wall. We walk through the open door that God has opened. Recently, my wife and I were about ready to go for a walk, which we do frequently at the end of the day. And the doorbell rang, and I stepped outside. And it was a salesperson who was trying to sell me on a particular service that I already had. He was very persistent. He kept saying it, kept saying it. And I kept saying no, kept saying no. And finally, he said, look, you've already told me no three times. But let me ask you, and I'm thinking, dude, if I already told you no three times, why do I have to say it a fourth time? So I just punched him in the nose and he left. No, I didn't. (laughs) Uh, You have no idea how many times I haven't done something just because of my reputation as a pastor that I might otherwise have done. So I didn't, right? But but I was frustrated. I was like, get out of my face. I want to go on a walk. What's the point? Honestly, folks, I've seen somebody more than one (laughs) somebody's approach evangelism like that, sharing the good news with other people like that. So aggressive in their approach to evangelism, having a methodology that they think is crystal clear and just slamming it down somebody's throat. And I'm standing there watching and listening and saying to myself, I don't even want to receive the good news from you and I'm a Christian. There's an arrogant aggressiveness that sometimes takes over us. That's not the same thing as an open door. An open door is just something you walk through. Of course, sometimes the impatience can be imposed upon us from outside, right? It can be imposed on us from people who are great with discipleship, some form of ministry, or evangelism, and they're pushing us to do it their way. There's a lot of good methods out there. I understand that. But you know it's true. Rabbits run fast and ducks swim better. Which are you? Don't let somebody try to make you a rabbit when you're a duck. There's a place for you. You can find it. There's an open door. But don't be squeezed into someone else's mold. As many of you know, I teach a, a class at IU which has nothing to do with philosophy or religion. But it has something to do with a third thing that I got one of my degrees in was history. And it has to do with something I love, which is sport. So I teach a class in sport history at IU. One of my favorite lectures comes whenever I'm talking about golf. Because I have a quote from a golfer named Arnold Palmer. Remember him? Blue-collar golfer, was raised in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, picked up golf balls on the course and caddied so he could make his way around so he could learn to play the game, and he became one of the great golfers of all time. Don't know if you ever watched Arnold Palmer golf, but it was a thing of hideous destruction. He had the most awkward swing. Other people had beautiful swings. Arnold Palmer just kind of lunged at the ball with all his strength, and he was a big guy. And he could hit the ball further than most people. His swing got even worse the older he got because he couldn't be flexible. It was great to watch. I loved Arnold Palmer. I watched him personally one time with my father. Arnold Palmer one time when he was giving a speech, talking to folks who knew a bit of his story, he said this. Swing your swing. Not some idea of a swing. Not some swing you saw on TV. Not the swing you wish you had. No, swing your swing. Capable of greatness. Prized only by you. Perfect in its imperfection. Remind you of Paul's words? His strength made perfect in my weakness. Swing your swing, he says. I know I did. What's the point? How do you reach out? You tell your story. Your story is beautiful, it's like nobody else's story. It's capable of incredible greatness in the hands of Jesus. And if you stay aware, and if you're willing, and if you're patient, you'll have an opportunity to tell it. This is my story, said one of the songs we sang. This is my song. The final B is to be humble. Remember this important truth. As Christ followers, we're called to be servants. Servants. There should be nothing. I w- I'd like to say this three times really loud, but I won't. There should be nothing arrogant about us. Don't allow your confidence in the truth, which I'm sure you have. I know I have. Don't allow your confidence in the truth to make you arrogant or judgmental. It's unbecoming to servants of Jesus Christ. So let's stop it already. Let's become known as a group of Christ followers who are not arrogant and bombastic and mean-spirited. Let's be servants to the world. Our position as Christ followers demands humility, and we ought to understand that better than anybody. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, stooped and washed the disciples' feet and told them to do the same. That's why Paul's epic reminder in Philippians chapter 2 says the same thing. If you have any comfort for being united in Christ, if any fellowship in Christ, the Spirit, then be like-minded, be like Jesus, who was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing. Being made in fashion like a man, he humbled himself. He became a servant. His humility led him to his death, death on a cross. What's the end of that passage? Because of all this, God exalted him and gave him a name. Why? Because he talked about himself being great? No, because he was humble. Why? Because he was arrogant and judgmental and harsh with people? No, because he was humble. God gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Be humble like Jesus. So a final flurry of questions. Do you think you have the answers? You're probably not ready. Are you confident? Feel prepared? Probably not ready. Have you found that one method for discipleship or evangelism that's going to work? You're probably not ready. Do you feel inadequate? Are you afraid? Do you feel foolish? Are you worried that you might fail? Good news. You're exactly where you need to be. His strength made perfect in your weakness. So be aware. Be willing. Be patient and be humble. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you chose us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were the best. But because you're God. You chose us to demonstrate your strength in our weakness. And my, do we feel weak? inadequate for the task, confused about the next step, shy about sharing our faith, worried about serving because others seem better. Lord, give us the grace to stop thinking about ourselves and to think about others and your church. You chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. In love, you adopted us as your dear children to the praise of your glorious grace, which you freely gave us in the one you loved. We thank you, Lord, for our chosenness. And we pray that you will give us the courage to step up and walk through the open door. Lord, not just in the future, but tomorrow. Tomorrow, there'll be an open door. May we walk through it and not miss the opportunity. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we
0: pray. Amen.